0: It's December 2017, Episode 11, What John Cage Can Teach Us About Hacking. Welcome to Hacking Culture, free software and the art of hacking. Hacking Culture is sponsored by Lullabot, and I'm your host, Matthew Tift. Welcome to the first episode of Hacking Culture that does not feature a guest. In this episode, it's just me, as well as a collection of audio clips. Previously, I described Hacking Culture as a show featuring in-depth interviews with free software advocates. And I intend for that to continue to be true. I have a number of interviews planned. However, I've decided to expand the scope of Hacking Culture. The goal of the show has always been to investigate the practice of hacking and focus on free Libra and open-source software. But in addition to hearing what other people have to say, I'm going to offer more of my own ideas about the art and science of hacking. So the first change is that not all episodes will feature a guest. Another change that I wanted to mention is that I have created a new website, at hackingculture.org, I wanted to create a resource that had information that didn't necessarily fit nicely on Lullabot's podcast page. So for instance, I started a list of organizations that support free software at hackingculture.org organizations. I also added a list of books about hacking. Those are at hackingculture.org books. I've been adding to that site a lot recently, and I will continue referring to that site wherever it might be helpful. I've learned a lot about the practice of hacking over the past few years, and I would like to share as much about what I have learned as I can. As some of you might know, I am a senior developer at Lullabot, and there's lots of wonderful things about working at Lullabot. For example, the people I work with are helpful and kind and smart and cheerful and thrifty and brave and all those kinds of good things. Good people. But in addition to awesome people, they understand what it means to be human. For example, they give us lots of time to just explore topics. Developers at Lullabot get approximately 20 to 25% of their time every day to learn and contribute back. Lullabot buys all of my books. Lullabot purchased the equipment I use to make this show. My employer pays for my subscriptions to academic journals such as Critical Inquiry. They send me to conferences about Drupal and free software and other topics. Lullabot even pays for the costs when I go on meditation retreats. They literally pay me to sit. That is a lot of really cool things that my employer pays me to do, and it probably sounds a little bit like I'm bragging, but that is not at all my intention. I've been taking full advantage of these great benefits the past few years, and I want to do more to share what I'm learning. So I'm changing the show up a little bit. The changes are intended to be helpful to you. I still will have interviews with guests, but in this episode, it's going to be different from some of the previous episodes it's not intended to convince you of anything rather i'd hope to give you some ideas to consider and find out for yourself if they're useful So let's talk about John Cage. We're listening to Cage's 1948 Suite for Toy Piano. And you may be wondering what someone playing on a toy piano could possibly have to do with hacking. John Cage was an American composer that lived from 1912 to 1992. So to put that in perspective, he was born more than 250 years after the death of Johann Sebastian Bach, whose music was the topic of episode four of Hacking Culture. Cage was born the same year as Woody Guthrie, and he died two years before Justin Bieber was born in 1994. And like all good dads, when I'm around my kids, I refer to him as Justin Bieber, Really, did, But I digress. Cage was one of the first American composers to experiment with electronic gadgetry to create musical sounds. Let's not sugarcoat this either. Over the years, a lot of people have been completely baffled by John Cage's music. And more than a few people have suggested, incorrectly, I might say, that Cage was less of a composer and more of a philosopher. For some of Cage's works, it's completely acceptable to play the piece either by itself or with another piece at the same time, which, I will note, is a view that is not common among composers. Much of Cage's outlook on life was influenced by his study of Zen Buddhism. So perhaps it's not a surprise that, with the growing popularity of mindfulness, that scholars are starting to pay more attention to Cage's music. In fact, Grove Music Online, which is perhaps the most influential English language music dictionary, says that Cage had, quote, a greater impact on music in the 20th century than any other American composer. So there you have it. One of the most important American composers of the 20th century. That's who we're talking about. So clearly there is a lot we could say about John Cage. But let's start at the beginning, or at least what Cage describes as the beginning. The first audio clip I'm going to play is John Cage telling a story that he told many times throughout his career, and it's the story about how he became a composer.
1: And so uh, after I had not yet studied music, so... I, uh, at the suggestion of Henry Cowell, I prepared to study with um, Schoenberg, and uh, when I, after studying with Cowell and with Adolf Weiss, I presented myself to Schoenberg, and um, he said, well, you probably not be able to afford my price and um, for studying. And, I said, well, you don't even need to mention it because I can't pay you anything. And uh, he said, "He said, will you devote your life to music? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yes. And I stopped painting and I uh, devoted my life to music.
0: When I first heard this story, it reminded me of people that I've met in hacking communities. People that don't have a lot of money, but they're interested in pursuing something. They maybe want to learn more about Drupal. Maybe it's a kid that wants to learn more about coding. And there is somebody who is willing to help. I heard him say those words and I thought, what have I devoted my life to? I write code for my job. Does that mean I've devoted my life to hacking? What does it mean to devote your whole life to your art? As usual with Cage, there's a lot more to the story than what he says. We don't need to get into all of the details, but the main reason I wanted to play that clip was because Cage thinks of himself and talks about himself as someone who is devoted to his art who has devoted his whole life to it. And I know a lot of people in hacking communities that feel similarly. They hack during the day, and then when they have free time, they go find something else that they want to hack on, and they enjoy it. Now, I feel like I've had a lot of jobs in my life. Everything from working in an ice cream shop to making plastic packaging component stuff. There weren't many jobs that I had where I really liked doing my job that I did during the day at night. Certainly not when I worked at a law firm. That would have been quite tricky when I was working at a grocery store bringing the carts back inside. And now here I am working at a company where I can hack during the day and then record these podcasts about hacking at night. Clearly, I am a white man coming from a position of privilege, and it's not something that I take lightly. However, it is kind of funny to think about sitting in a sprint room at some sort of coding event and having someone come up to me and ask for help, and then I look back at them and say, will you devote your life to hacking? Well, let's move on to another subject. One of the kinds of music that John Cage was most well-known for was his music for Prepared Piano. Prepared Piano works were works where the performer, before they could even perform, would have to put objects such as bolts or screws, erasers, coins, rubber, and that kind of thing placed in between the strings. The result made the piano sound more like a percussion ensemble, or maybe even a little bit like a Balinese gamelan. Cage called this music prepared, but there's really no reason to view it as anything other than hacked. These are some interesting pieces that he wrote, and let's listen to one called Sonatas and Interludes. These are some pieces that he composed between 1946 and 1948. There are 16 of these sonatas. Most of them are generally understood to be in AABB form, which is a fancy way of saying that there is a musical expression repeated twice, AA, followed by a contrasting musical expression repeated twice, BB.
1: We're going to listen
0: to number five from Sonatas and Interludes, which lasts a little bit less than two minutes, so I'll play the whole thing. So that was Sonata Number 5 from Sonatas and Interludes for Prepared Piano by John Cage. That particular performance was by Boris Berman. And if you want to hear all of the Sonatas and Interludes, this is a recording from archive.org, Creative Commons license, and you can find all of those in the show notes which for this show are at hackingculture.org episode 11. So you can listen to Sweet for Toy Piano, you can listen to John Cage talking about devoting his life to composing, and you can listen to sonatas and interludes. Listening to those sonatas, they do have this sort of playfulness about them. If I think back to my first experience hearing those as an undergraduate, The initial reaction was something like surprise. How could this possibly be a piano? But then listening to them, I kind of got into it a little bit. I thought, hey, these sound kind of neat. And now when I hear them, it reminds me of the playfulness that comes along with hacking. The joy that I get when I have a particular good day writing code. There's a resource online called the Jargon File which includes a definition for hack. And they offer nine different related definitions of hack. And one of them is, quote, to interact with a computer in a playful and exploratory rather than goal-directed way. And that to me sounds a little bit like these prepared piano pieces. They feel exploratory. They feel like we are not necessarily aiming towards any particular goal, that we're just listening for the pure joy of it. Maybe another way to interpret these pieces is like having autoplay music on your website. And just because you can do it doesn't necessarily mean you should. For me, I hear these pieces and I think about the possibility I think that it's easy to sit down in front of a piano and only think that we can play piano music. Similarly, when I'm writing code, sometimes it feels like I should just do things the way that we've always done them. However, I have found that there are certain times in certain situations where I can do things in a slightly different way that's beneficial, and beneficial in a way not just for me, but maybe beneficial in a way that the person who's asking me to do something had not considered. Cage's piano music is a reminder that sometimes doing things in an unconventional manner can have pleasant results. The last piece that I would like to discuss is John Cage's most famous piece, composed in 1952. Grove Music Online calls this piece Cage's, quote, most famous and controversial creation, end quote. Technically, this piece has three movements, but it is not a fixed object in the conventional sense. It has more of the character of a process In the first performance, the pianist sits down at the piano, opens it up, leans in to play with hands ready, and and they sit there for four minutes and 33 seconds. Cage called this the silent piece And the father of the free software movement, Richard Stallman, also had something to say about this piece. In Stallman's article, On Hacking, he talked about hacking as a means exploring the limits of what is possible in a spirit of playful cleverness. Stallman goes on and talks about other activities that also fit a hacker's idea of what hacking means. For instance, writes Stallman, I think the controversial 1950s, quote, musical piece by John Cage, 4 Minutes and 33 Seconds, is more of a hack than a musical composition, end quote. Even Stallman, the father of the free software movement, understood 4 Minutes and 33 Seconds to be more of a hack than music. A reminder that people experience the world around them including websites and software and music in many different ways we know that people are using different browsers they may have an ad blocker or not they may have javascript enabled or not they may be on a mobile device they may have a giant screen with 4k resolution or whatever the highest coolest resolution is these days Maybe they have multiple screens. Maybe they're on a bus. Maybe they are on the bus listening to John Cage experiencing our websites. The point, though, is that with 4 minutes and 33 seconds, Cage is reminding us that we lose control of the objects that we create. We can't go out and say, I have now written this software. I can say that I want it. Understood in this way, and I want it to be used in this way, and I don't want it changed. Now, most of us know intuitively that that just doesn't happen. A piece like 4 minutes and 33 seconds is a good reminder of that. It's also a good reminder to enjoy each moment, especially when we're perhaps feeling frustrated that our code isn't working, or when we're really excited that our code is working. Each of those moments we can enjoy, each of those moments we can pay attention to, the person sitting across the table from us, the client, the coworker, your friends, your kids, your parents. In a 1957 lecture that Cage called Experimental Music, he described music as a purposeless play, which is, quote, an affirmation of life, not an attempt to to bring order out of chaos, nor to suggest improvements in creation, but simply a way of waking up to the very life we're living. End quote. It seems to me that Cage is suggesting that the truth is the way you listen, not what you hear. Attempting to exact full control over activities or products that we create just isn't possible. And for the programmer, the truth is how you write the code, not what is produced. So in a similar way that a composer cannot control random noise heard during a performance, a software developer cannot control how people use their software, especially free software. Cage expanded on this idea a bit in a lecture he gave called Lecture on Nothing. So let's listen to Zach Gvee reading Cage's Lecture on Nothing.
2: I am here, and there is nothing to say. If among you are those who wish to get somewhere let them leave at any moment. What we require is silence, but what silence requires is that I go on talking. Give any one thought a push, it falls down easily. But the pusher and the pushed produce that entertainment called a discussion. Should we have one later? Or we could simply decide not to have a discussion, whatever you like. But now there are silences and the words make help make the silences. I have nothing to say, and I'm saying it. There seems to me to be
0: a message in those words for free software communities. I have nothing to say, and I'm saying it. Now this is not at all to negate the activities that we do, but if we think about it, We get together, we create software, we help each other out, and it continually changes. You could make the argument that we have nothing to say, but we keep saying it. We keep pushing forward. It's not as if we have some specific, long-term, stable goal. It's not like free software has an end. That can be a little scary to think about. So that's why we have people like John Cage to remind us. If you want to hear the full 42-plus minutes of that lecture, you can go to hackingculture.org episode slash 11. The final audio clip I'd like to play is John Cage reading his own essay on Robert Rauschenberg, artist, and his work.
1: Rauschenberg is continually being offered scraps of this and that. Odds and ends his friends run across since it strikes them. This is something he could use in a painting. Nine times out of ten, it turns out he has no use for it. Say it's something close to something he once found useful and so could be recognized as his. Well then, as a matter of course, his poetry has moved without one's knowing where it's gone to. He changes what goes on on a canvas, but he does not change how canvas is used for paintings that is, stretched flat to make rectangular surfaces which may be hung on a wall. These, he uses singly, joined together, are placed in a symmetry so obvious as not to attract interest, nothing special. We know two ways to unfocus attention. Symmetry is one of them. The other is the overall, where each small part is a sample of what you find elsewhere. In either case, there is at least the possibility of looking anywhere not just where someone arranged you should. You are then free to deal with your freedom, just as the artist dealt with his, not in the same way, but nevertheless, originally. This thing, he says, duplication of images, that is symmetry. All it means is that looking closely, we see as it was, everything is in chaos still. There
0: are quite a few nuggets in that excerpt that feel relevant for free software communities. For example, he talks about being offered scraps of this or that from friends, and nine times out of 10, it's not useful. That, to my ears, sounds like something we could say about the latest JavaScript framework. Yet, how often do we accept those scraps assuming they will be useful? We can, at the same time, believe that both our friends mean well and that the latest and greatest new technology will likely not improve our lives. There's another line in there where Cage mentions that each small part is a sample of what you have found elsewhere. And how much do we see software presented as new when really it's quite a lot like other software? The beauty of this situation is when we have freedom and we build things not in the same way, but nevertheless, originally. Or how about when he says, everything is in chaos still. Currently, if I look here in the Drupal core issue queue, there are 18,005 open bugs. And I work with teams of other people to use this software to build websites for all kinds of folks, including large enterprise organizations. We're building it, it has its bugs, we live in chaos, and it is wonderful. Or at least that's one way to look at it. So as I offer some concluding thoughts, I want to reiterate what I said earlier. I'm not trying to convince you of anything. Rather, I wanted to sit down and talk a bit about How I think John Cage can help us investigate our own practices. It is so easy to get caught up in negativity. Society, both locally and globally, does a great job to tempt us with the new and shiny. We can be easily convinced that we are separate or competing with one another. But for those reasons, I find John Cage's music and words to be helpful. He may be referring to music, but his words remind me that there are a lot of similarities between technologies such as Drupal and WordPress. Cage reminds me that these artificial boundaries are not helpful. Because I'm already a participant in hacking communities, his words remind me that I actually have very little control over how people use and understand my contributions. For those of you who do not already purposefully engage in the practice of hacking, I hope that Cage and I might convince you to try. If you use software, you are already participating. I like how Cage embodies a particular kind of hacking, a playful, thoughtful hacking. Many of us who write code may identify more with a composer like, say, Haydn who had a patron the Esterhazy family, and Haydn continually produced music for his patron over 30-some years. He directed an orchestra, he played music with his patrons. Haydn had to produce a lot, and that is kind of like how it is at my job. I am required to produce a lot, but Cage reminds me that we are all people interacting with one another, Never trying to deliver a finished product, really. It may seem like a finished product, but is it ever really? The more we embrace the current moment, our current project, our friends, our family, or whatever it is right in front of us at this moment, right now, the more we can enjoy our work. There are no problems to be solved. Cage reminds me that everything is as it is supposed to be. So I hope you have enjoyed this brief introduction to John Cage. If you would like to listen to any of the audio clips that I've played during this episode or maybe read more about John Cage, there are plenty of links on hackingculture.org/episode/11. I have a PhD in music history. However, the topics that I currently have in mind for upcoming shows are not musical. Hacking Culture has not become a show about music. I've been thinking recently about topics such as memory and the public sphere and free software in public schools. For future episodes, I've been thinking Maybe I will try to get authors on the show who wrote some of the books that I like. But I guess if those efforts are unsuccessful, I'll just share my thoughts. If you would like to share your thoughts with me about this show, or you have ideas for future shows, please email me at matthew at hackingculture.org. I would love to hear from you. If you are using a computer that has proprietary software on it, that allows you to access iTunes, I have been told that leaving a review for the show would be helpful. And finally, for those of you who want to support free software, I would encourage you to check out the Software Freedom Conservancy. As I record this, they have an anonymous donor who is matching all contributions. So check them out at sfconservancy.org.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Hacking Culture. You can learn more about this show and subscribe at lullabot.com slash hackingculture. Please follow at Hacking Culture and at Matthew Tift on Twitter. This episode is released under the Creative Commons attribution Sharealike 3.0 United States license. Hacking Culture is produced at Lullabot. The theme music is from the Open Goldberg Variations. Thank you for listening.